Well, Lighthouse Baptist Church, please join me in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you're God with us. Lord, what, what everybody came here today was not just to sing songs, not just to hear a sermon, but to have an encounter with the living God. And God, I can't give that to anyone here. Only you can. Lord, I pray that when we sing, it wouldn't just be songs about you, but songs to you. Lord, I pray that when we read your word, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. I pray, Lord, that when we hear the sermon, we wouldn't just hear about you, but that we would encounter you, Lord. That's what each and every person here so desperately needs. And the good news is, Lord, your Holy Spirit is here in this room with us. Lord, you came to Lighthouse Baptist Church today. You're in every church today. Lord, when two or more are gathered in your name, there you are among them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for our church, for everybody in our church. And Lord, I pray that you will just speak through me today. You'll speak into everybody's heart. You'll plant your word in everyone's heart and that it will grow and grow and grow to the point that birds are settling in it. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Numbers chapter 12. Again, we're in Numbers chapter 12, the whole chapter. Don't worry, it's only 16 verses. So it says, starting in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron, now remember who that is. Miriam is Moses' sister. Aaron is Moses' brother. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. 
Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spat in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and camped in the desert of Paran. Well, I'm going to do a little experiment with y'all. It's a little social experiment. Are you ready? Raise your hand if you have ever been hurt by a family member. Yeah. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by a friend. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by a coworker, somebody you worked with. Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by someone that you went to church with. Yeah, likely we've all been hurt by someone that we worship with, someone we went to church with. Now, what I want you to see today is that in this passage, Moses had all four of those happen to him at once. He was hurt by his family, his brothers and sisters, and they were his friends, and they were his co-workers. They were fellow leaders of the Israelites with him. And last but not least, they were fellow worshipers of God with him. They made up part of his church, and yet they hurt him. Moses experienced hurt on all of these levels in this passage. And yet at the end of this passage, Moses was continuing along with them to God's promised land. So let me ask you a question. What was essential for Moses to continue with them to the promised land? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Once again, we are talking right now, going through the book of Numbers, about essentials. What is absolutely essential in our walk with God? If we know what's essential, then we'll know what to prioritize. And we have to see that in our walk with God, in our journey of faith, forgiveness is essential. Look, the first week in this series, we talked about how community is essential. We need each other. But here's the truth. If you're in community, if you're around other people, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers, your church, I can promise you one thing. They will hurt you. And you will hurt them. When it comes to hurting others and being hurt by others, it is not a matter of if. It is a matter of when, right? Now look, if being hurt is inevitable, then forgiveness is essential. It's essential. We will need to forgive each other and we will need to be forgiven by each other. We'll need both. We really will. So look, in our passage today, we're going to look at the subject of forgiveness. 
And right up front, I want to tell you what I think this passage shows us about forgiveness. Our passage shows us what forgiveness is, but it also shows us what forgiveness is not. And then at the end of the passage, it shows us where forgiveness takes us, where forgiveness leads. So look, first off, what forgiveness is. And right off the bat, Aaron gives us a definition of forgiveness. In verse 11, he says, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Well, what was that sin? Well, they spoke against Moses. Now, they gave a, apparently good reason. Well, it's because he's married someone who's not one of the people of God, which more than likely we see in the book of Habakkuk that Moses' wife she was a Midianite. Now it says he married a Cushite in Habakkuk. It looks like that area was the same. So this is probably talking about his wife who has been with him before he even brought the people out of slavery. So likely this is not really the issue. Likely what the real issue is, is what they say in verse two. Hey, does the Lord speak through Moses only? Doesn't he also speak through us? What's the real problem? They're jealous. They want Moses' position that he has, which God says, hey, if you were reliable as Moses, yeah, I would give you the position that Moses has. But this is the problem. So what are they doing? They're speaking against Moses. They're undermining his leadership. The people who were supposed to be his teammates, his family, have his back, give him encouragement, are the very people that are speaking against him. What have they done? They've sinned against him. So what does Aaron ask for? Forgiveness. And what does he say? Please do not hold this sin against us, which means what? Forgiveness is the act of letting go, letting go of the sin that someone has committed against you. It's letting go. It's not holding that sin against him. Because look, as long as that sin is not let go of, as long as it's not forgiven, it stands between you and the person who sinned. If, if you sinned against me and I hold that against you, doesn't that impede our relationship between each other? Until I let go of it, we can't have a relationship anymore. Look, if the sin between you and the person that sinned against you doesn't die, the relationship between you and that person will die. I promise you that. So what do we have to do? We have to, I know it's hard, we have to let go of it. Let go of it. It's hard, but we have to. Look, recently I realized one of my closest friends, we hadn't talked in a long time. And I thought, oh, that's weird. Why haven't we talked in a long time? And I thought, oh yeah, I remembered something that they had done to me that really was hurtful to me. And I won't go into detail about it, but I, I realized the reason our relationship has died is because I'm still holding that sin against them. We have a relationship, but I'm holding on to that sin and I cannot have that relationship back until I let go of that sin. And so once I said, okay, I'm, I'm letting go. I know it hurt. I know what they did was wrong, but I'm letting go of it. Then and only then was I able to reach out to them. Once I stopped saying, well, once they pay me back, once they do enough good things, then we can be friends. No, once I said, okay, 
I'm letting it go. Look, Moses could only get his family back when he forgave them. And I could only get my friend back when I forgave them. And look, when you don't forgive, what are you doing? You are holding a debt over someone's head that they can't pay back. They can't pay it back. And you're holding that over their head. And look, both Aaron and our Lord, Jesus, spoke of forgiveness the same way as forgiving a debt. Think about Jesus when he taught us the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 12, what did he say? He taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he taught us to pray to forgive others as we've been forgiven by God. So it's very clear that we're supposed to forgive others, but we get confused about this. And thankfully for us, we have the disciples to voice our frustration to Jesus and voice our confusion to Jesus because Peter this was Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now we go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Peter, who has heard Jesus, said, Forgive. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And we say, what? 77? Why did Jesus choose that number? Look, I think this gets lost in translation. Let me try to modernize it for you a little bit. It would be, it's, Jesus, what he's doing is he's kind of giving a teasing answer to Peter as if to say, Peter, hey, if you're counting when you forgive others, you're doing it wrong. It's like if you said, Cody, should I forgive someone 20 times? And I said, more like 20 billion times, you would say, oh, I get it. I'm, I'm not supposed to be keeping count when I forgive. This is something that I'm supposed to be doing over and over. And if I'm keeping count, then I'm not really actually forgiving. But in verse 23, Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him, listen to this, a man who owed him 10 thousand bags of gold. Can you imagine owing somebody 10,000 bags of gold? A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt. In other words, let it go and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred coins. One hundred coins. He's just been forgiven. How much? Ten thousand bags of gold? Somebody owes him a hundred coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master 
everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What is Jesus saying here? If our Father in heaven did not forgive us, that would be torture. And when we don't forgive those who sin against us, we are torturing them. We are treating them in a way that we ourselves would absolutely hate to be treated by God. And yet we who have been forgiven 10,000 bags of gold often refuse to forgive others when they owe us 100 coins. Look, forgiveness means not holding someone's sins against them, not living in resentment because someone has hurt us. In order to forgive, we have to let go of the sin that they committed against us. And look, we can only truly open our hands to let go of other people's sins when we realize that on the cross, God opened his hands to forgive us of our sins. If, if Jesus kept us this tight, he would have never had the nails driven through his hands. It was only by opening his hands. Like when, on the cross, what was Jesus doing? He was forgiving us. He was letting go of our sins. He was dropping it. And when we see that that's what he's done for us, that enables us to do that for others. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go of that sin. But look, here's an important caveat. I'm going to show you what forgiveness is not. We've looked at what forgiveness is, but what is forgiveness not? In verse 4 through 8, we see that God has Miriam and Aaron and Moses come to the tent of meeting. He calls Miriam and Aaron forward. He addresses what has happened. And in doing so, in communicating why he is upset with them, what they have done wrong, what is God doing in verse 4 through 8? God is confronting the sin. And he's confronting the sinner. Now, this is strange, right? Because we're confused when we talk about forgiveness. Hey, if I forgive someone, that means I drop it. It's over. It's done. That means that I don't talk to the person ever about it. Well, that wasn't the case here. Look, we think forgiveness means I never address the issue. I never confront the person over what they did to me, how they hurt me. That's just not true. Forgiveness does not mean that we don't confront the sin or the person who sinned against us. Look, the forgiveness of Aaron and Miriam involved confronting Aaron and Miriam. But look, confrontation is such a strange word because when I think of that word, I almost think of somebody just screaming at somebody, yelling at somebody. Look, oftentimes, 
let me just say, that's, that's not what Christian confrontation is. It's just not. Christian confrontation comes from a place of love and forgiveness. It combines confrontation with forgiveness. And when forgiveness is combined with confrontation, the point is not to destroy. The point is to correct. Do you see that? Now, Jesus, we saw earlier that Peter was asking about how he should forgive. But now we're going to skip forward to a time when Peter needed to be forgiven. By who? By Jesus himself. Think about it. On the night Jesus was arrested, people said, aren't you one of his followers? Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. He denied knowing Jesus three times. And so Jesus, he forgave Peter after his resurrection, but it included what? Confrontation. But how did Jesus confront Peter? Well, let's look at that together. In John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What has just happened? Peter has been forgiven. He's been reinstated. The relationship has been healed. It's been restored. Peter is allowed to move on into the future that God has for him that he's telling him about right here. But does Peter have to wonder if he's been forgiven? No, because Jesus talked to him about it. He confronted him about it. And that confrontation was not Jesus going out to destroy Peter over his sin. It was going out to correct him. It was done not out of hate for Peter, but out of love for Peter. It was done out of forgiveness and not resentment of Peter. Look, forgiveness often involves confrontation. It doesn't always involve confrontation, and this is going to take some wisdom and discernment on your part. Not every single little thing that somebody does against you is something that you have to talk to them about, right? But there are a lot of times when somebody's doing something, they're hurting you, and you do need to talk to them about it. There does need to be a time where you address it with them. But I want you to see that forgiveness does not mean that we don't ever address the sin or the person who has sinned against us. N.T. Wright, he says, the key thing about forgiveness, the key thing is not that one should therefore swallow all resentment and forgive and forget as though nothing had happened, the key thing is that one should never, ever give up making forgiveness and reconciliation one's goal. If confrontation has to happen, as it often does, it must always be with forgiveness in mind. Never revenge.
Look, forgiveness doesn't mean we never confront people who sin against us, but it does change how and it does change why we confront people. So look, we see what forgiveness is. We see what forgiveness is not. But lastly, we see where forgiveness leads, where it takes us. Look at verse 13 through 16 again. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spat in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and camped in the desert of Paran. Now, this is so, so strange to us for a number of reasons. Because the first reason is why, why was Miriam confined outside the camp? And hey, this doesn't even seem very fair. Why did Miriam get leprosy and Aaron not get leprosy? They both committed the same sin, right? What's going on here? Okay, let's remember Aaron is what? He is the priest. So it's possible that he didn't get leprosy because leprosy would have made him unclean, unable to perform his duties as a priest. But part of your duty as a priest is to inspect someone with leprosy, as we see him immediately doing when he looks over at Miriam, when he sees her. And what does he see? He sees that what is inside of them is now reflected on the outside of them. I know the text that I read, I read the NIV, said her skin was leprous, it was white as snow. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say the word white at all. It just has the word snow. The, the leprosy we see in the New Testament, Hansen's disease wasn't around in the Middle East until Jesus' time. So more likely what's going on right now here is not that her skin was white, it's that it was flaky. Almost like somebody who is decomposed dead. And what is God doing here? He's showing them on the outside what they look like on the inside. He's having them inspected. He's having them almost essentially have a, a time out. He's saying, I want you to experience sorrow for what you did, but not worldly sorrow. He wants them to experience what Paul calls godly sorrow, sadness over how I've hurt someone, over how I've hurt God, so that I can be corrected. That's what God has in mind here is godly sorrow. But here's what I want you to see. Forgiveness is what allowed them to be healed and what allowed the community to be healed and reconciled. None of this would have been possible without God's intervention. And we see that forgiveness does what? It leads to healing in us, around us. It brings us back together. Healing is not possible without forgiveness because forgiveness leads to healing. It leads to reconciliation. It leads to what happened at the end of this chapter, moving forward, moving onward together. Can't do that unless we're forgiving each other. Look, forgiveness is essential, but we can't do it alone. I know we think we can. I know you think you can. I can forgive, 
You can't. How do I know you can't? Because Moses couldn't himself. Look, Moses, every step of the way, every part of the process of forgiveness, God was helping. God was involved. God was a part of it. If we're going to forgive, we desperately need God's help. Corey Ten Boom, I've mentioned her a few times recently in sermons. Corey Ten Boom, if you don't know her story, she and her family, they lived in the Netherlands. And as World War II was about to start, the Nazis rose to power and they invaded the Netherlands and they took over. And so many of their friends who were Jews were taken away. And so Corey and her family decided we're going to hide them in our house, which is a huge risk. So they, they hid many people. And in her book, The Hiding Place, which if you're looking for a book to read, go read that. That's an amazing book, The Hiding Place. In The Hiding Place, she talks about how they hid those Jews in her house, but they were betrayed. Someone gave them away. Corey and her family, they were arrested. They were taken to prison. Corey's father died in prison. They went on to concentration camps. Her and her sister Betsy did. They eventually went to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück in Germany where Corey's sister Betsy died shortly before Corey was released, which happened to be a, a clerical error. She was due to go to the gas chambers not long after that. It's, it's really a miracle that she survived, but nevertheless, she did survive. And after that, she went on to speak at churches, even in Germany, about her story, her journey. She shared the life of her sister, Betsy, with people. And in the book, The Hiding Place, she talks about a time that she, you can imagine someone who's gone through that at the hands of somebody else, is going to have to really struggle with forgiveness. She says in The Hiding Place, she says, It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jellers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to people the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. 
while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Look, the truth is we need to forgive just as much as we need to be forgiven. But we can't do it on our own. We can't. We've tried. I know you've tried. I know I've tried. I can't. You can't. It's impossible. We need God's help. So this isn't something I want us to just table for another day. This is something we need to do right now. Will you, will you please bow your head and pray with me? And this is something I'd like for us to, to take a moment of silence and just ask God to reveal if there's anybody in your life, one person or multiple people, living or dead, that you haven't forgiven, like Jesus said, from your heart. Take a moment and maybe you know who that person is, maybe not. Either way, take a moment to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anybody I need to forgive? And when you think of that person, hold them before God in your mind. And I want you to know that forgiveness is not something you have to do alone. We go through every step of our walk with God together. We challenge each other, yes, but we also encourage each other, comfort each other, love each other, support each other. And so now we should pray for each other. So please join me in prayer, and I'll pray on all of our behalf. Lord, whoever it is that hurt us, God, the hurt is real, and it doesn't necessarily go away even when we let go of their sin. Lord, we need your help to forgive them. Lord, in order for us to move forward, we have to stop and address that sin. We have to forgive that sin. Lord, we can't do it without your help. So, Lord, I ask you, like Corey said, Jesus, I cannot forgive them. Give your forgiveness. Lord, whoever it is that each of us is thinking about, please help us to truly, from our heart, forgive them. We might not just have to do it now. We might have to do it over and over and over again. We might have to do it seven times. We might have to do it 77 times. But Lord, we know that we've been forgiven billions of times. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will forgive those who owe us a debt as you have forgiven us of the debt we owe you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And I know, I know that this is hard. And I know you can't do it on your own. C.S. Lewis, he said, the least popular virtue of all the Christian virtues is forgiveness. He said, everybody 
loves the idea of forgiveness until they have something to forgive. But look, if when we just prayed that prayer, you refuse to pray for that person who you hold sin against, it's not just that you can't forgive them. I know you can't forgive them on your own. If you won't pray for them, it's not just that you can't forgive them, it's that you won't forgive them. It's that you refuse to even try to forgive them. And if that's what you're saying, I understand. But let me remind you of what Paul said in Ephesians 4.32. He said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Look, here's what I want us to see today. We can only pray, please God, heal them for others because on the cross Jesus prayed, Please, God, heal them for us. And because he did that, and when we accept that, we can experience God's love, his mercy, his compassion, and his forgiveness. And when you experience God's love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness in you, then you can share it with others. And when you share God's love, mercy, and compassion, and forgiveness, other people can experience God's love, His mercy, His compassion, and His forgiveness through you. But only if we, like Moses, and like Jesus, open our hands and let go of the sin, just as our Lord took our sins, opened his hand, and let go of them for us. Let's pray. Lord, what what we are talking about right now is probably the most difficult and challenging thing I could talk about from this pulpit and that we could hear from, from these pews. This is hard, God. This is so, so hard to forgive others. We think it will make us feel better to hold a debt against that person. But it won't. It won't. Help us to trust you when you teach us to forgive. Help us to follow your example. Help us to not try to do this on our own, but to totally depend on you. Lord, we should be forgiving people because we are forgiven people. Lord, like Judas, we've betrayed you for 30 pieces of gold. Lord, like Gomer, who cheated on Hosea, we've committed adultery on you. Like Peter denying you, we've denied that we even knew you. Lord, and you forgave us. For as many times as we've sinned against you, you've forgiven us. So Lord, from that forgiveness, from knowing that we're forgiven, that we're loved, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to forgive and to love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.